0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, God our strength and our redeemer. Amen. 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 We've come to that time in our churches here when we begin to hear gospel readings that speak of apocalyptic times. It's only two Sundays until the season of Advent begins and we begin to prepare for the coming one. When we begin to prepare for the child coming better than Christmas, but also for the coming one. The the Holy One who comes into our midst every day and the Holy One who uh, our scriptures talk about coming at the end of time. And because we're approaching that season, the gospel readings for these next few weeks talk about a sense of the coming of the end of time, an apocalyptic time. And so, as I was thinking about that during the week, and then thinking about it in terms of uh, what I might say today, my mind kind of settled on that word apocalyptic. We often talk about uh, movies or books maybe having an apocalyptic theme. A sense of the end of one world and and uh, wondering what the new one will bring. When we use the word, it generally refers to things being kind of destructive and things coming to an end and there being great catastrophes and there's a sense in which we're living in that time or one of those times in our world at the moment with climate change and global warming and COVID. And all of the things that seem to be happening in our world, in fact Tony and I were just talking about that yesterday, we were remembering it's not much more than 12 years since the first of the Christchurch earthquakes, and that, kind of in our minds, that was the beginning of a whole lot of things that seemed quite disastrous in our world and in our context. So I decided to go to the dictionary and look up what it says about apocalyptic. And it says, it's an adjective that describes or prophesies the complete destruction of the world, as in the apocalyptic visions of ecologists. That's what it says. (coughs) Or momentous, or catastrophic, as in the struggle between two countries is assuming apocalyptic proportions. And then a long list of words uh, that were kind of... uh, synonyms for apocalyptic, catastrophic, momentous, ominous, portentous, life and death, serious, grave, epic, huge, earth shattering, world shaking. We live in a kind of apocalyptic time. But so live many other people, because for each generation, um, there's a sense of what their world is. And when something comes along that shapes that, it seems like the end. So then the next meaning says of or resembling the biblical Apocalypse with a capital A, which is a reminder that the book of Revelation, Revelation of John, has another name. It's also known as the Apocalypse with a capital A. And in that book there are all these images of Of the coming to the end of things and many people have used those words to instil instil fear in people to try and get them to change their ways, to come back to God and we know that a lot of the imagery in that book was actually deliberately figurative because it was speaking about the political um, issues at the time of being written and they were trying to just keep it a little bit hidden that they were actually speaking to the people of power at the time which comes to the origin of the word. It comes from the Greek, and it doesn't mean disaster or catastrophe. It means to uncover. The word, the word that I can't pronounce in Greek, that is apocalyptic, is the uncovering. And so I started to reflect on that, and think about when these momentous things happen, When catastrophe happens in our lives, it uncovers what is beneath. It exposes what is at the heart of things. And so we have some wonderful things that happen in times of catastrophe where people come together and help one another. Where divide between the haves and the have-nots melt away and people are willing to come alongside those who are struggling and give them help. But as you know at the moment, sometimes the opposite happens. What it uncovers is our fears, our sense of insecurity, our worry that we might not survive. We worry, we're afraid that the world as we know has ended. So in Mark's Gospel, we have Jesus predicting the temple's destruction. Jeremiah had done it too. He's not the first. Jesus was not the first. And when you think about it, the temple was always going to be vulnerable should unrest come to Judea. And in the middle decades of the first century in the common era, when Jesus was alive and the decades that followed, it was indeed a time of unrest. But it wasn't the only time of unrest in their history. There was the story of the desecration of the temple by Antiochus Epiphanes, which was kept alive at at, that event in 167 before the Common Era, with the story of the Maccabees and Daniel writing and reminding the Jewish people about what can happen. And then There's also the desecration by Pompey the Roman in 63 BCE, which left its memory in those people. And so Jesus is speaking into the memory of the people who've known destruction in the past and are anxious that there will be destruction in the future. And so when he talks about the destruction of the temple, they immediately think of that. And they fear that it will happen again. Like the early Christian communities, we too struggled with differences of opinion as to how we should order our lives in the face of difficult times. Those early Christian communities struggled because they had different ways of seeing how things should be done. Some of them wanted to keep things the way they had always been. Others wanted to be open to new ways, and we know that those who wanted to be open to new people and new ways raised the anger of others in their church. We read in the book of Acts about the differences of perspective that caused debates between people in the emerging Christian movement, between those who favoured the likes of James who wanted to keep things as close to the Jewish way as possible. Gentile and the stranger, those who didn't fit the old mould. Like those early Christians, we need to face into the issues of our own apocalyptic time, this time in which we live now, and recognise that it is uncovering our fears and insecurities, and that in a time like this, just as those early Christians did, We need to dig down into what it means to be people of faith, to be followers of Christ. We cannot change the upheaval, but we can have some control over how we react to that upheaval. And as our inner world is uncovered, let us choose to develop within ourselves our inner world That is responsive to the way of Christ. A few short chapters after today's Gospel, Mark has Jesus standing before the High Priest, facing false allegations about his testimony that he had claimed that he would destroy the temple. Mark chapter 14, verse 58. I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days build another not made with human hands. Jesus was going to do it himself. He never said that he would do that. But everything else was true. The temple made with hands was going to give way to a temple not made with human hands. A community of faith built on the cornerstone of Jesus. And we need to be that temple today. The community of faith built on the cornerstone of the sun the stone that is Christ, our rock. Being built on that cornerstone doesn't mean we will all agree with each other. It doesn't mean we won't come into conflict with others around us. But it means that we have something firm to stand upon. And that's the thing on which we are called to stand, not whether we fit in this camp or that camp whether we have these needs or these needs, but they will be Christ's home. It's hard living in this kind of a time. Jesus, at the, in the very last sentence of today's Gospel, used the image of birth pans for the unrest and the struggle that was going on in his time and would come in decades to come. And he was defiantly clinging to a kind of hope, that deep hope that we know about because of him that new life would come. When we await a birth, and for those who have given birth no, we do not wait in a kind of vacuum. That waiting is full of struggle, full of pain. And when we are in the midst of that struggle and pain, we do not know that new life that will come yet. So as well as having to deal with that that struggle and that pain, we don't know the new yet. We're in an already but not yet space, living in in that in-between time's heart. So we need the signs of hope. We need the songs of hope. Like the song that Priscilla read today, the song of Hannah, comes from the first book of Samuel. My heart exalts in the Lord, my strength is exalted in my God. There is none like you, no rock like our God. In this God the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. God makes poor and makes rich. God brings low and also exalts. God raises up the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash And she completes her song by saying, O God, yours are the pillars of the earth, and on them you have set your world. We need her song of hope. We need the songs of hope of Zechariah and Mary, which we will read and sing and hear in the weeks of Advent. Those songs which remind us who our God is and who it is that our God's heart is for. And we need to dig down into the spiritual practices that have been passed on to us by centuries of faithful followers of Christ and teach those practices to one another and to our world. We need that hope. And that world in which we are has lost that particular hope that comes from knowing and being grounded in the deep love of God who will always hold us. It's not a hope that it might be okay tomorrow. It's a hope It is a firm assurance that we are God's and God is ours. And from that hope comes the energy to be in the hard time, not knowing what will come. Because we do know that whatever it will be, God will be there with us. And God will be calling us into living the life that we are called to be in that new place. And so we wait in a struggle. And we listen to what the Spirit has to say to us about how we are called to be in this time. What we are called to offer to those beyond us. And to listen even to the songs of hope that come to us in that society, which still does have glimmers of that hope. Because God is in all places. I'd like to leave you with Two quotes, one from Walter Brueggemann, the other Julian of Norwich. Walter Brueggemann says, The prophetic tasks of the church are to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion, to grieve loss in a society that practices denial, and to express hope in a society that lives in despair. I'll just read that again. The prophetic tasks of the church are to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion, to grieve loss in a society that practices denial, and to express hope in a society that lives in despair. Not easy tasks, but these are the tasks that we are called to to allow what is within to be uncovered, and to be willing to be alongside others in their sense of being exposed, to help them to breathe, to help them to face the truth, and to find hope where there is despair. And then from Julian of Norwich, a reminder to us that Jesus never said it will be in If there is anywhere on earth a lover of God who is always kept safe, I know nothing of it. For it was not shown to me. But this was shown, that in falling and rising again, we are always kept in that same precious love. I believe that at this time we are called to keep alive that hope and that precious love. We're called to practice it in the ways that we engage with one another. When we feel anxious or irritated, not to react out of that anxiety or irritation, but to stand firm in that precious love of God, to touch into it and allow it to resource us so that we can be with one another and our community at large, a sign of hope. And the way that we keep in touch with that is through our daily practices of prayer and spiritual disciplines that feed us and allow us to be fully God's in our situation, wherever that might be. So I have a little practice that I'd like to share with you it's called the RAIN Meditation. I don't know if people have come across it before, but it uses the word RAIN as a mnemonic. It's just a very simple centre of that It doesn't change anything, and yet it changes everything. Ah, for the beginning of RAIN. Recognise what is happening. Just quietly whisper to yourself, whatever you are aware of, your fear, or your anger, or your hurt, or your shame. Just name it. Recognise it. A. Allow. Let whatever you are feeling be here. Don't try and shut it out. Don't judge it. Don't tell yourself you shouldn't feel like that. Don't try to fix it. Simply be with it. And you might even say to yourself, this too belongs. This feeling is part of being alive. Recognise, allow. The I stands for investigate. With curiosity, feel into your body, your throat, your chest, your belly. Discover where the emotion lives most strongly might even gently place your hand there. Sense what that feeling needs, or is asking for. Maybe it needs some love, maybe it needs some forgiveness, maybe it needs some acceptance, or simply understanding. It's speaking and it needs to be heard. So find out what it might be saying. Recognize, allow, Investigate. And finally, the end, nurture. Offer care to those feelings of vulnerability in yourself. Let the touch of your own hand be tender and send whatever message to that feeling will most bring healing. You can imagine it coming from your own self or even from someone outside of yourself, someone who you trust and love. Most deeply, you can know that that gift comes to you from God. And after the rain, recognition, allowance, investigating, nurturing, take some moments to be still. Notice if there's any shift from when you started. Allow God's compassion to hold you. And maybe the first few times you do this practice might take a while, It might be an impossible thing to do when you're in the midst of something. But practicing that will little by little become a muscle that you are able to develop. So that when you find yourself in those situations where you and others are feeling that it is too hard, you can just touch in to the presence of the Holy One who's always holding you. Our sentence said, Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to live together. We are the resource that God has given us. We are the body of Christ. Let us tend to one another and together tend to God's world with love, deep love, and bringing the gift of hope. Um